Man, it's so good to be together. And we're going to spend some time in, in God's Word today. And we're in Acts chapter 27. We've been going through the book of Acts together. And we are almost at the end. Uh, this is the, Acts has 28 chapters and we're in chapter 27 today. So next week is going to be our last week in the book of Acts together. Uh, this really over, it's been over a year now that we've been walking through this incredible book of the Bible. And I believe and trust that the Lord has, has used it to do a work, to do his work in your life as we have examined the scriptures together. Uh, also, we're going, we're going to be in, in 2 Kings chapter 6 as well. And so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open uh, to both of those places. If you don't have your Bible, I would encourage you next, next Sunday, let's, let's bring our Bibles to church. We do put some of the verses on the screen, but there's just something about holding God's word in your hand and, and, and learning your Bible. And, and when you get back home, you can open it back up and let the Lord continue to speak to you. So I would encourage you, let's, let's be bringing our Bibles uh, to church. I know that's kind of old school. Um, but so what? I'm kind of old school anyway. So, amen. I got one amen on that. All right. Acts chapter 27. Now, it was, of course, my intention to summarize this passage for you today. But as I, again, this week got into it and started reading through it, I just said, you know what we're going to do? We're just going to read the whole chapter again. So, uh, I know five minutes of reading is not the most engaging content but it is the word of God and it will speak to you. So we're going to read all the way through it and then we'll come back through and unpack some things together. Remember, Paul has been on trial. He's been on trial after trial after trial after trial. And in one of his trials, he appealed to Caesar. They were going to send him back to Jerusalem and the Jews had plotted to kill him, to ambush him. And so Paul appealed to Caesar. And what that means is that he had to travel to Rome to stand before uh, Caesar at the time, who was the emperor Nero. And so what we're going to see is Paul's journey, the, the journey that Paul goes on uh, from where he was in Caesarea to uh, Rome in, uh, to stand before Nero. So Acts chapter 7, and it says uh, that it was decided that we should sail for Italy. Now the we is Paul and Luke, Luke who's writing the book of Acts. And so they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. It was this man's Julius. He was a centurion. It was his job to deliver Paul to Rome. And embarking in a ship of Adramidium, uh, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea accompanied by Aristarchus. I think I did better with that one. A Macedonian from Thessalonica. So Aristarchus was a man who was also traveling with Paul, uh, one of his converts, just to be there to encourage Paul along the way. So the next day we put, we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. So the, the ship was in port, and Julius let Paul go into the city, uh, even though he's a prisoner, meet with his friends there and uh, be encouraged. And it says, putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the uh, lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing, sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Snidus, 
And as, we, as the wind did not allow us to go further, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salomon. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lassie. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because, of, because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid no attention to Paul, but listened to Pilate more than Paul and the owner of the ship. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. So Paul says, I, I, this isn't looking good. The, the things have not been going our way so far. I don't think we're going to be able to make it. I think we should stay here. They didn't listen to him, and they went on. Now, when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained favor... They weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. That's the lifeboat that was trailing behind them. They brought it on board and secured it, secured it. And after hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. They wrapped the ship to try to keep it together from falling apart. That's how, how intense this storm was. Then fearing that we would run aground, uh, they lowered the gear, so they dropped anchor, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. So this storm is so intense, they're throwing everything overboard to try to keep the ship afloat. On the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither the sun or the stars appeared for many days, they, they, didn't, see, they didn't see the sun, they didn't see the stars, they didn't see the moon, for days they were in this intense storm, and no uh, small tempest lay upon us. All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Everyone just totally gave up hope. They all just made peace that they were going to die. And since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. You know, there's lots of people today that still don't want to listen to the Apostle Paul. And you know what? You should listen to him. He knows what he's talking about. But he says, yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the Most High God, to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said to me, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. 
When the 14th night had come, as we were being driven along the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms, and a little further they took a sounding and found 15 fathoms, so they're getting closer to land. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea, so they lowered the lifeboat, the sailors, the captains trying to escape from the prisoners. They're saying they're doing it under the pretense of trying to keep it all together, but they know that they're trying to escape. So Paul says to them, to the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. So there goes the lifeboat. As the day was about to dawn, Paul urged them to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they were all encouraged, and they ate some food themselves. We were all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they, were, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow struck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim and escape. That was the, the protocol in a shipwreck. Before the, the ship went down, all of the soldiers would kill the prisoners uh, so that none of them could escape. But... The centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and to make for land, and the rest to swim on planks or pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, as we spend time going a little bit deeper and unpacking the truths contained here Lord, we know that this is your word, that these words are inspired by the Holy Spirit. God breathed. Lord, though you used the hand of Luke to, to pin these for us today, and, and we are thankful for that, we know ultimately that you are the author of Scripture. This isn't just any book. It is the Holy Bible. And so, Lord, speak to our hearts today. Breathe on these words. Give us ears to hear what you're saying to us. Open up our hearts to receive from you. Let it be planted deep within our lives that we might live for you and bear good fruit for you. Lord, help me today to communicate what you want us to hear today. In Jesus' name, amen. Three truths I want to look at today. I want to impress upon you from this passage. And the first is that God knows how to protect his people. Amen. God knows how to protect his people. As we look at this storm, the, the storm that they are in, it's not just a, a little few rain clouds. It's not just a little mist. It's not just a little drizzle. This storm is severe. 
They didn't see the, the sun and the moon for days. They couldn't even see the sky as they were beaten down by this storm. They, they had finally had to give way and, and just let the storm toss them wherever it would take us. This wasn't, and, and the people who were sailors, the, these weren't just some weakened warriors who liked to go fish, fishing out in their John boat. Th these were sailors who, who knew the sea, who knew the region, who knew the, the, the islands and, and the, 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 the courses through the sea. They knew these things well. They were professionals. They knew the coastline like the back of their hand. And they're doing everything that they know how to do to save the ship, and it's not working. It's not working. In fact, everything that they try, it only gets worse. And in verse 20, it says that all hope was lost, that, that they finally just gave up all hope, that they quit even trying to save themselves because they said that there is no hope. They were so beaten down by the storm that they totally lost their hope. But in spite of this, and in spite of the storm, God sovereignly protects Paul. Do, do you see that God protects Paul from this storm? God had told Paul many, many chapters earlier, earlier, two, two years earlier, three years earlier, as Paul was standing trial in Jerusalem, Jesus appeared to Paul and said, you must go to Rome and stand before Caesar in Rome. And, and so there was no way that God was going to let Paul go down with the ship. Saul, Paul had to stand trial before Emperor Nero in Rome because it was the will of God for Paul to do so. It was God's will for Paul to stand there and so Paul will stand there. Listen, no storm can overthrow the will of Almighty God. Amen. God's will, God's purpose will be accomplished. Period. Final. That's it. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. That's our great profession today. Amen? That's what we sang today. I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now the saying goes, Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. If Jesus isn't Lord of the storm, Jesus isn't Lord. Amen. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. God sovereignly protects Paul. He knows how to protect his people. God not only protects Paul from the storm, he protects Paul from the soldiers that are about to kill him when they're going to kill all of the prisoners. Standard protocol. God had given Paul favor with the head soldier, the centurion. And so God sovereignly protects Paul from being killed by the soldiers. And it's not just Paul that God protects. The Bible is full of story after story, account after account of God sovereignly protecting his people. Amen. I'm going to remind you of some of them today because I think you need to be reminded of some stuff today. 
I think you need to be reminded that God knows how to protect his people. And guess what? We're part of his people. Amen. Amen. The Bible says God is no respecter of persons. It's not that God only protects Paul because Paul is such a great apostle. No, God protects his people. All of his people. So we see Joseph sold into slavery in Egypt, falsely accused of sexual abuse. He could have been killed, but instead God sovereignly protects him and has him put into prison, which doesn't sound that great in and of itself, but it's better than being killed. Amen. And God was positioning Joseph to bring salvation to a whole nation. God's sovereign hand of protection. What about baby Moses? As, as the, the, the children of Israel, are, are their babies are, are being slaughtered. And, and in faith, Moses' mother puts baby Moses out to sea, put, puts him in the Nile River in a little basket, a makeshift basket. And, and sets him free and just says, I'm putting him in God's hands. God, I'm trusting in you. And God just guides little Moses to the Pharaoh's daughter. You think that's an accident? No, it's God sovereignly protecting his people. What about the Israelites at the Red Sea with, with the Red Sea in front of them and Pharaoh's army behind them? It looks like there's no hope. All hope of being saved is lost. And God just you know, sneezes and the whole Red Sea parts and they walk across on dry land. God sovereignly protecting his people. What about the three Hebrew children in, in Babylon as they are being forced and said, you must bow down and worship the idol, must bow down and worship this image of King Nebuchadnezzar. And the music plays and the whole nation bows down. And there was a lot more than three Hebrews there that day, but there was three Hebrew young men who stood up and said, I will not bow. They said, fine. If you will not bow, then you will burn. And they heated that furnace seven times hotter than it normally runs. They heated it so hot that when they took those three Hebrew young men and threw them into the, the, the fire that the guards who threw them in burned to death. But those three Hebrew young men in the midst of that fire were walking around saying, man, it's, is there a cool front blowing through? This is so refreshing. And King Nebuchadnezzar looks in to the fire and he doesn't see three Hebrew young men, but he sees four Hebrew young men, and he sees, says the fourth of them looks like the Son of God. And they come walking out of there. The, the bonds burned off of them, but their clothes not even singed, not even smelling like smoke, giving glory to God Most High. What about, what about Elijah, who in the time of famine had to, had to go hide out because they were trying to kill him and for three years, God fed the prophet Elijah by the ravens of the air that brought him breakfast and lunch every single day. How awesome is that? God sovereignly protecting his people. What about Daniel and, and God shutting the mouth of the lions? It's time after time after time after time, God sovereignly protecting his people. We've seen it even in the book of Acts. 
Peter set free from prison by an angel. Paul and Silas set free from prison by an earthquake. Paul, even after they stoned him to death in Lystra, raised again to new life by the power of God. God knows how to protect his people. And for us, this should give us courage today. Amen. We don't have to live in fear today. The, the whole world today has lost their minds because of the spirit of fear that has gripped the world from COVID-19, including God's people. So afraid. Why? Because we're not trusting in God. We somehow don't think that God is able to protect his people. I asked you to open to uh, 2 Kings 6, and so if you'll flip over there with me. That's in the Old Testament, by the way. Uh, so keep flipping uh, back, and if you get to 1 Kings, uh, you went too far. Um, 2 Kings chapter 6. This, again, uh, is the prophet now Elisha. And the king of Syria was, was sending his army to uh, do raids in the nation of Israel. And they were causing much harm to the nation of Israel. And God began to show the prophet Elisha all of the plans of the king of Syria. And so Elisha would go to the king of Israel and say, hey, uh, you need to put an army here. You need to put a regiment here. They're going to attack here. And every time the king of Syria showed up with his army, the armies of Israel were ready to go and would defeat them. And so it became known to the king of Syria that Elisha was the one tipping uh, the king of Israel off. And so the king of Syria decides, well, if I'm going to win against Israel, I got to take the man of God out. I got to take out Elisha. And so when he finds out where Elisha was, he sends his whole army to go and surround the city. And we see that in verse 13. He, verse 14, he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city, the city of Dothan, where Elisha was. And so verse 15, Elisha's servant gets up the next morning and he goes out to, let's say, get breakfast. And when he looks up, he sees the whole entire city that they're in is surrounded by an army, the army of Syria. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? He was filled with fear. But Elisha said to him, Do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the, when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And so the whole army is now blind, totally immobilized. And so Elisha goes out and says, uh, this isn't the way 
he goes out to the army and says, this isn't the way, and this isn't the city you're looking for. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man that you seek. And so he then leads them into the capital city of Israel, into Samaria. He leads the whole army into the city, and then their sight is restored, and they're just surrounded by the armies of Israel. Listen, the young man came out, and he saw the army, right? He, he saw the enemy. He saw that they were surrounded. And his response was a natural response. It is the natural thing that when you see that you are surrounded by the enemy, that you are fearful. He was afraid. He says, what are we going to do? All hope is lost. We are surrounded. And you would say, well, why was he fearful? You say, well, he was fearful because he saw the enemy. But I would tell you something. He wasn't fearful because of what he did see. He was actually afraid because of what he didn't see. Because as soon as God opened his eyes and he saw the armies of heaven, all of a sudden he wasn't afraid anymore. And likewise, there are so many Christians today that feel like we are surrounded by the enemy. The world is against us. The, 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 the laws, the, the government, the blah, 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 all against the Christians and coronavirus and economic this and that and this and that. And yeah, if you look at all, if that's all you see, guess what? You're going to live in fear if that's all you see. But there are more who are with us than who are with them. The armies of the Most High God are with us. It's not that we are surrounded, it's that they are surrounded. You see, we, we don't live in faith. We've gotten into this system, we've gotten into this trap of living by what we see in the natural world. And guess what? That's always going to produce fear. Why? Because the world is passing away. But we're part of the kingdom of God, which is not passing away. Paul says, if God is for me, who can be against me? If Jesus is on our side, it doesn't matter what they come up with. It doesn't matter what they try to do. They will not win. They cannot win because they are surrounded by God and we are surrounded by God. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Hebrews 10, 38, the just shall live by faith. We don't live in fear. We're supposed to walk by faith. So many people today gripped by fear. Gripped by fear. It's time for the church to wake up, to stand up, to not cower away in fear anymore. There's an irrational fear that has swept over the, the world. It is irrational. It doesn't make sense. It defies all reason and logic. Here, I'll give you an example today. Now, now this is where I'm going to make some of you mad, but that's okay. Every year in the United States of America, 40,000 people die in car accidents every single year. 40,000. That's a lot of people. Four million people every single year. Four million people are so seriously injured in car accidents that they have to be taken to the hospital for emergency treatment. 
Four million people a year have to be taken to the hospital by an ambulance from a car accident because they are so critically injured that if they don't receive a medical treatment, that they will lose their life. Four million people a year. Now, last year, 2020, was a hard year. COVID-19, it was hard. 400,000 people passed away from COVID-19. But you have a 10 times, you are 10 times more likely to be seriously, critically injured in a car accident than you are to pass away from COVID-19. Now, how many of you walked here today because you're afraid of driving in your car? How many of you took the horse and buggy because you're afraid of a car accident today? Well, well, well no. The, the, I'm, I'm not saying that you shouldn't take the disease seriously. I, I would caution you when you get in a car, take it seriously. Put your seatbelt on. Use your blinkers. If it's night out, turn the lights on. Don't turn, roll down your windows, blast ACDC, and drive down Callahan Road at night with your seatbelt off and your light off at 120 miles an hour. That, that's not what I'm saying to do. When I get in the car, I take it seriously. It's serious. I, I pay attention. I look around. I, I use the brain that God gave me. If it's raining, I turn on my windshield wipers. But I don't live in paralyzed, irrational fear, afraid to leave my house and get into my car. There is an irrational fear. It is a spirit of fear that has gripped the world today. I met with a missionary this week, uh, who, uh, Steve Mills. He, he's just coming back from Kuwait. He had spent five years planting a church in Kuwait. The lockdown there, let me tell you about the lockdown in Kuwait. And they're still in lockdown. They've been in lockdown uh, since March. He had to come back because his visa expired and they wouldn't renew his visa and they, they're kicking all the... Anyway, they're kicked, they kicked him out of the country so he had to come back. So anyway, um, in Kuwait, you can go to the grocery store every six days. You have a one-hour window to go do your grocery shopping. It's assigned to you by the government. Every single day, you only have two days that you can walk outside your house, or two hours, two hours per day that you can walk outside your house. When you walk outside your house, you have to have a mask on the entire time, whether or not you're around anybody. And if you violate these rules, if you walk out, if, if you stay out for two hours and one minute, or if you take your mask off, or if you go to the, you've, oh, I forgot to buy bread, so I need to go to the grocery store again. I'm sorry, you can't, but if you do, the fine for violating these rules is $25,000 per offense. The people in Kuwait have been in their homes locked down with no end in sight. Now, is that, is that a rational response? Is that a logical response? No, it's not. It's, it's overblown. I'm, I'm not saying that the virus isn't serious and that we should take it seriously. I think that we should. I think that those who have especially pre-existing conditions and underlying health issues and are advanced in age really need to take it seriously. But that doesn't mean that we cower in the closet, afraid to even walk outside our homes. We can't live in fear. Why? Because I know that God knows how to protect his people. Amen. Here's some more irrational stuff. I've, I've flown several times during this pandemic. I'm getting on a plane tomorrow. I'm preaching at a conference this week. 
I'm going to go get on the plane. And, and when I line up to get on the plane, they're going to say, stay six feet apart. Put your mask on. Stay six feet apart. If I get four feet close to somebody, they'll send somebody to spread out, get, you know, blah, 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 blah. Well, as soon as I get on the plane, guess what happens? Everybody's back to front, putting up their luggage you know, all over each other. And then they sit us all packed full. The plane's going to be packed full tomorrow. There's going to be 300 people on that plane, not a seat empty, right on top of each other. But you have to keep your mask on. Don't take off your mask. You know, if you take off your mask, you know, they'll come around the stewardess. And I know it's just their job, but put your mask back on. Okay, okay, I'm sorry. Until... They bring the drink cart around. I, I kid you not. Here are your pretzels. Here is your Coke. You could take your mask off and drink your pretzels and eat your Coke. I, it, it's never taken me so long in my whole life to eat, a, to eat five pretzels and drink a Coke. You just sit there. And... But as soon as you finish your pretzels and Coke, put your mask back on. I'm, I'm touching the guy next to me. It makes no sense. It, people have lost their minds. Now, I had COVID-19. I got sick. It wasn't pleasant. It was horrible. I, I'm, I did not like it one bit. But guess what I didn't do when I had COVID-19? I, I didn't come here and preach that Sunday. Now, the Sunday I had it, I felt well enough I could have come and preached. Well, why didn't I do that? Well, because I use the brain that God gave me, right? I'm not, I'm not just throwing caution to the wind. I'm not just ignoring everything. No, I'm using my brain. But what I'm saying is that there are people who are not using their brain anymore because they are so dominated by a spirit of fear. And what we are seeing is that even Christians today are not putting their faith in the God who can save his people, but are putting their faith in a mask who can't save anybody. Let's not live in fear. Let's not be dominated by a spirit of fear, but let us be led by the spirit of God. God who promised to never leave us or forsake us, to always be with us. Amen. All right, that's point number one. Oh. Point number two I want to show you is Paul's confidence in God. Paul is so confident in God. He knows that God's going to save him. He knows that God is going to deliver him. In verse 21, we, we see this, that, that God sends an angel and, and he speaks to, to Paul and he says, listen, you're going to be set free from this. And, and all of the sailors, all of the prisoners, not a single person is going to lose their life. And so Paul says, great, I'm going to go tell the sailors this. This is good news. We're going to make it. We're going to survive. We're not going to be taken down by this. God is with us. And it says when Paul goes and he, he says that to the sailors, it says in verse, uh, which is it? Is it verse 33? Verse 36, it says that as Paul goes, he encourages them in their hopelessness He's not ashamed of God. He's not ashamed to talk about God. He's not ashamed to, to share his confidence in God. He goes and he encourages them. He says, listen, the word, the word that God has given me has is, is told me that God's going to protect us. God's going to lead us through this. God's going to see us through. And in verse 36, it says, and they were all encouraged. Paul strengthened them with the word of God, with the truth of God. 
with, with, the, with the revelation that God had given them, him and it strengthened them and it built them up. Paul was not afraid to share the truth. And so many Christians today are, are ashamed of the gospel. They're ashamed of Christ. They're ashamed to let people know that they believe in God because the world is against that. But look at what happens when he begins to speak. They are encouraged. They are built up because Paul knows that it is life and death for them if they don't do as he has told them. And likewise for us who have the message of the gospel, the truth of the gospel, it's not just life and death in this life. We're talking about eternity. We're talking about eternal life or eternal death. It is life and death, the gospel. And we're afraid and we're ashamed. and We don't want to offend people. People are drowning in sin today on a boat for hell and we have the message of eternal life. And we're afraid to share it somehow. Why? Because we've gotten beaten down thinking that Jesus isn't the king of the world somehow. That there's some other power, there's some other authority above Jesus Christ. That all authority in heaven and on earth doesn't belong to him. And so I, I, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want people to think bad of me. I, I, it's time for the church to wake up. It's time for the church to stand up. It's time for the church to speak up. It's time for the church to proclaim the truth of God's word. Listen, there are so many people that are discouraged around you today. There are so many people that are, have lost their hope today. Lost their hope. I read a news story even just this morning about, about someone who's so afraid of COVID-19 that they view every trip to the grocery store as a potentially fatal mistake. That's what they said. They, they said, I, I can't even live, leave my home because I can't even go to the grocery store. I'm so gripped with fear, worrying that this is going to be the mistake that, that kills me. This is a young person with, with no signs of comorbidity or any problems at all, gripped with fear. And we can come along and say, hey, we don't put our hope in the government to save us. We don't put our hope in the vaccine to save us. We don't put our hope in mass to save us. God is our savior. God protects his people. We're gonna make it through this. Listen, we're gonna make it through this. We're gonna make it through this. Paul has a confidence in God. Do you have a confidence in God that he will see us through? Is he where you've placed your confidence and your hope? Or have you placed it in someone or something else? The third thing I want to leave with you today is this question of why the storm? Why did, why did God have Paul go through the storm? Obviously, God is sovereign. He can protect them. We see Jesus can command the wind and the waves. That's no problem for him. So we have, to, we have to come to the realization that it's the will of God to put Paul through this storm. It's the will of God for Paul to be shipwrecked. And this is not his first shipwreck or his second shipwreck or even his third shipwreck. This is the fourth time that Paul has been shipwrecked. Why is it that God is putting Paul through this storm? He could have given him smooth sailing. It could have been glassy waters. He doesn't. 
It's this horrible storm. Now, I don't presume to to know fully the mind of God and why God would do this, but we can see the results of what happened. We can see that the storm and God protecting Paul through the storm demonstrates Paul God's demonstrates God's sovereign power and ability to keep his people safe. We can see that God sovereignly protects Paul in the storm. And so likewise for us, as we go through storms in this life, we can know and have confidence that God can protect me in the midst of any storm, in the midst of any trial, in the midst of any temptation, in the midst of any opposition or persecution. God has me. This this story tells us that. This story also shows us That when we're in the storm, it's the time to put our faith in God on display. It's the time when Paul stands up and says, God's going to save us. God's going to deliver us. God's going to see us through. He's not going to fail us. His word will stand. He has said not a single one of us will be lost. None of us will be lost. It is the time in the storm for us to stand up as Christians to put our faith in God on display, not to cower in fear. And so the question that lies before us truly is, have we put our faith on display over the last year? Going through the storm of COVID-19, going through the storm of the pandemic, going through all of 2020, have we been the witnesses to Christ That Jesus called us to be, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creation, being witness to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Have we been the faithful witnesses for Christ, the power of Christ, the power of the resurrection in the midst of the storm of 2020? Or did we, like the rest of the world, disappear? It ought not be so for the people of God. Why? Because we have a different spirit inside of us. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We're filled with the spirit of the risen Christ. The King of kings and Lord of lords. We're not filled with the spirit of the world. Now, in life, we're not promised smooth sailing. But we are promised that God will always be with us. As we progress through 2020, we are going to come out of this storm. More and more people have had the virus. More and more people are being vaccinated. This whole COVID threat, as large or small as it was, it it is going to be significantly diminished. But there are people that are are not going to leave their homes. There are people that are going to continue to, to live in fear. And I'm not here today to bring condemnation on anybody. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. But I am here today to to bring conviction to your soul. Are you trusting in Christ, in Christ alone? Knowing that he can protect you in every situation, in every circumstance from anything. Or are you living in fear of COVID? Are you living in fear of death? For those who have put their faith in Christ in the risen Son of God, even the fear of death for us has been removed. There is no more fear in death because death has been defeated. Are you putting your trust in Christ? 
Have you showcased by your life the hope that we have in God as the bedrock and foundation for our lives through the storm? Because guess what? COVID-19, 2020, it's not the last storm we're going to go through. It might be for the church. This might have been the test run. This might have been, you know, first grade for the storms that might be on the horizon. How will we respond in the next one? Have you learned some things from going through this one? I have. I have. And I, I, am, I am boldly and firmly convinced more and more in my faith in God than ever before. And I, I am not going to be thrown around by every wind of doctrine that comes our way. I, I am not. Our hope is in God. Our hope has to be in God. Our hope is not in the economy. Our hope isn't in the president. Our hope isn't in the stimulus bill. Our hope is in God. We look to God. I look to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from Washington, D.C. Oh, may I pray for you. May I lay my hands upon you and cast that spirit out of you. Our hope is in God. Let's stand together. Father, I thank you that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, Lord, I pray that this word today has not condemned anyone. That's not my heart. That's not your heart. But I do pray that it has brought a renewed conviction to our hearts, to our souls, to trust in you above anything else, to trust in you, to look to you as our source, as our supply, as our Savior, as our Jehovah Jireh, as our provider, as our sustainer, knowing that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords, that you are sovereign and that you protect your people. Lord, we've come through the fire this year, but you have protected us. We are here today not because we're so smart and wonderful. No, by your grace, we stand before you today. Lord, help us to live with the assurance, with the confidence that our days are ordered of the Lord, that you direct our steps, that we can step out in boldness, proclaiming the gospel, speaking the truth, uh, testifying to the hope of God that we have to a generation that is so lost, that is so in darkness, and that is so hopeless. Lord, our hope is not misplaced. Our hope is a solid foundation. The promises that you have made are sure, are true. Lord, reaffirm these truths in our hearts today. Lord, like, like the, the, the little servant of, of Elisha that saw the, the enemies Lord, let us not just look with our natural eyes, but let us see in the eyes of the Spirit the armies of heaven on our side, that we are victorious in Christ. 
that no weapon formed against us will prosper, that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Give us a, 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 an ever-increasing, re, re, resolute spirit. Yes, we take things seriously. Yes, we are cautious. But we don't have to be dominated by fear. Lord, set us free from the spirit of fear. Set us free today. Fill us with your spirit, power, love, and a sound mind. Lord, let a sound mind sweep this nation and sweep this world. Let us be the ones who proclaim the truth and the hope that we have, and that it would bring you glory. And Lord, that we would see a revival sweep this country, sweep this nation, sweep our city, as the hopelessness of the world becomes evident. And our hope in Christ becomes sure as we put it on display. We thank you for it. Lord, I thank you for these precious people that have come today. We've worshiped, received communion, received your word. Lord, help us to, to walk out and live out your word this week. Set free from a spirit of fear, filled with the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap today.